0: Uh, hey, uh, well, hey, welcome. It's good to have you for those online as well. Hey, uh, I, I think most of you know Pastor Gary. If you don't, I just feel I need to introduce him. Pastor Gary is a big part of our church. We don't see him every Sunday, but he is on our board. And I was actually speaking to someone about this. I can't even remember who. Uh, just, uh, just a little while ago um like it was yesterday and I do remember who but you were with us when we were 15 people in the foyer of a school hall and so he's been doing the journey with us speaking into me oversight for me um my mentor oversight for our church on our board in really every significant decision that our church has made Pastor Gary has had a voice and been there to lead and to guide and um you know God has used him in our church, so I just want to honour that, uh, and we are very, very grateful to have him part of our church, and especially to come and speak every uh, every six months or so. So would you stand with me and welcome Pastor Gary as he comes to share God's word?
1: Uh, good morning, everybody. You may be seated. Thank you, thank you, Pastor Kim, for your kind comments. It was interesting. I was only reflecting during um, when I got here this morning and then during the worship. Uh, I, I was literally thinking about those early days. in the uh, and, and Bethany would play keys and then have to go out and do kids. There'd be nobody at the end to come back to the keyboard. I mean, it was, it was, it was rough. <laughs> but it's been an absolute delight to do the journey and, and just with, with you and to see what God has done. How many of you know that life is about a journey? Life's about doing the journey, and for this church, for life and legacy, what an amazing journey! It's been some challenging moments and times, but uh, and looking around it, you know, I see people, um, you know, that have been here for all of that journey or most of that journey, and have, have been the backbone to what God has done and is doing and is about to do. Amen. Is about to do. Uh, get ready. Get ready for. Um, for even bigger and more, not for the sake of big, but because God wants to touch people's lives. And so, um, thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, I was nearly going to go past Al. Uh, Al, <laughs> Wait, are you here? Al can't see. Is he out? He's gone already? Oh, he's up Oh, up there. Couldn't see you up, up there, mate. Um, I thought you were going to preach my message this morning. Great segue, great intro. <laughs> to my message this morning and because I want to ask the question about how has love changed you? How has love changed you? I'll quote of that verse, John 3.16, which is one of the most foundational verses in the New Testament in terms of our belief and our faith. And of course, we we all know this. God was motivated by love, and everything that He did, everything that He does for us, He was motivated by love. God so felt warm and fuzzy about the world. No, no, God so what? God so yeah, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life hallelujah you got eternal life this morning? now if you're not sure, do a checkup. <laughs> I know it seems like well oh, why is he asking that? Well, hey it's a really important question anyway that's not my message I just thought I'd throw that in. Um, often uh, when that verse has been raised, you know um, we've been encouraged to put our name into the verse and go so you know, for God so loved Kim, or for God so loved whoever it might be, God so loved Jackie, God so loved... That, and that's true. But I want to just put a different switch on it this morning and put your name in the verse, but in a different place. And the next screen, for you. Put your name in there. For you so loved that you what? You so loved that you, he or she, what? God, we know, so loved the world that he sent his only son, gave Jesus. You so loved that you, what? See, when we live our life, I think, to our highest intention, everything we do will be motivated by love, or should be. See, God not just so loves, but he is love, the Bible tells us. He is love. Love. He is love. We sometimes see advertisements. You can go to the next screen, thanks. Just uh, and that'll stay on for a while. Um, we sometimes see advertisements for uh, for a chef or some food product or meal, and it includes the line "made with love," particularly if it's an Italian dish. It's made with love. <laughs> it's um, there's something, now I know that can be a throwaway line, but but at the end of the day, there's something in that. See, every great artist understood this. We do everything, and this is what Al was talking about with giving, we do everything with an underlying attitude or emotional motivation or passion, musicians, I love see, um, Pastor Kim was talking to me, and I, I walked up on stage during the break, and the guys were just playing. And I just love the groove. I, I could—it was just a great groove they were in this morning. I just love that feel. Love live music. And um, and they're not just going through the motions. they just—you can tell good musos because they feel it. Yeah. There's something about it. And as a muso in a previous life, I know there was something about. I would love those moments. Like you just—that's a bad word. Trip out. I mean, you just. <laughs> you get in the groove and there's something about that because there's a passion there's a love there's something that is motivated you can get a singer to get up and sing a song and maybe technically perfect and then the next person gets up sings the same song and it may not be as technically perfect but but it touches you because it's got soul it's got feel it's motivated by something it's not just doing the thing so, Alan, that's how we need to live life, not just doing life, not just going through the motions of life, not just going through the motions of church, whatever it might be. So when you have strong love, when you have affection, when you have passion for something or someone, you will change your life to give time to it or to them or the year after I was married, I had to work away quite a bit. I was working at various airports around this state of Queensland. And, uh, man, it was, it was a very different era. But I remember, so I'd be four weeks in one place, and I'd be back home for a few weeks, and I'd be in another place, and uh, maybe six weeks or whatever. And I remember being in uh, Rockhampton for six weeks, and every weekend, I'd knock off five o'clock at the airport. On Friday afternoon, I would jump in my car, and I would drive the six and a half hours, it was supposed to be seven, but I would drive six, <laughs> in fact my pastor pulled me aside because my exploits were being talked about um, and had a little word to me to encourage me, maybe I should just be a little more sedate in my driving. Um, but every weekend I did that for five or six weekends and then Sunday afternoon we'd have lunch and I'd jump in the car and drive back up to Rockhampton, get there at night ready to work in Mackay and... And it was back in the day where it was TAA and Ansett. How many of you remember those names in airlines? And, um, and you got to know the guys. As I said, very different world. And So, so I'd go and talk to the guys and say, hey, have you got a, you got a spare seat? And uh, yeah, you know, and, oh, it's a milk run uh, this afternoon. But yeah, you're welcome. And I'd jump flights and whatever and get back because I just wanted to be back home because, because of love. A few years ago, my grandson. My daughter and her son were living with us and, um, <clears throat> for a couple of years, and he, um, he was into computer gaming. He loved gaming, and um, so much so that at times I'd wake up, come on in, uh, yeah, I'd wake up <laughs> during the 2 or 3 a.m., and I'd see the glow of the light, and I'd have to go in and say, hey, Riley, time to go to bed. Because he was so passionate about gaming. Here's the point. Whatever you love, whatever you have affection for, you will change your life. It will change your life. So what are you living? What are you building your life out of? What motivates your life? The truth is not everything everything that we build is built by love. We have mixed motivations. But I think the highest intention of life should be to build a life motivated out of love. It should be the highest aspiration, I think, to be able to look back on life and say love built this. Because God is the center of our lives and God is love. Real love changes your life. You ever see a young couple the first time when they first fall in love? I mean, suddenly, a guy that would only take a shower once a week now is showering. He's got—he's using deodorant. I mean, he never had time to do anything before. Now he's got time. I mean, we—amazing. And of course, uh, if you pursue that relationship and you get married, love alters your life. Alters your life. You have kids. Man, you do anything for your kids. You will kill for your kid. Well, I, you know, no, no, I probably would. I I remember thinking when my kids were young, particularly, anybody touches them, I will take you out and I'll get forgiveness after. I mean, that's seriously. That's how you. Now, I know that's not a biblical. Don't take that as a model. But you understand the feeling because love is powerful. So I think it's significant. That when Jesus had his last conversation with Peter before before Jesus left, so not before he died, but before he'd already died, had risen again, and before he left to go back to heaven, he has this last conversation with Peter. And it's interesting, it's significant that the conversation is about love. I mean, the conversations that Jesus had before he died with his disciples were significant. But can you imagine the power of the conversations he had with them after he died and rose again? I think you pay more attention when someone has died and is alive again and they're talking to you. I think that has some significance, some impact. Those words would have power. And in this last conversation that Jesus has with Peter, the words are very significant and they're carefully chosen because Jesus had chosen Peter to be, if you like, the point man to lead this movement that would change history and would change the world, this revolutionary movement called the church. And these words that Jesus speaks to Peter are So significant, so important. Then they're words that need to echo inside of Peter's heart and mind and his soul for the rest of his life. And they're words that will shape the future and the future of the church for generations to come. And so we should pay attention not only to the words, but to the context in which they were given. And I want you to come with me into this story in John chapter 21 starts with verse 1. The conversation is so significant. There's quite a few verses to the story, but we're going to read it through. Um, And it's as if Jesus is saying in this, I want you to understand that love, real love, will change your life. It's like, So pay attention to where your love goes. Pay attention to where your affections go. Pay attention to where your passion is. So in John 21, 1 through to 21. It's a great story. So afterwards, Jesus again appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So this is the book of John, so obviously it's being written by the disciple John, named John. It happened this way, he says. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved... I, 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 love, I love the way... So this is so much humanity... In even the way the scriptures are written, we know they're breathed on and inspired by God. But so the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, he's writing about himself. He didn't say, by the way, me, uh, who Jesus loves. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved then said to Peter, It's the Lord. And Simon Peter heard him, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning uh, coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of them dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That's interesting. That's, that's another whole thought, but it's a really interesting. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus answered, feed my lambs. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, the context is so unique and the words carry so much power. The the central narrative to this story is the conversation that Jesus has at the end here about love. The conversation with Peter about love. If you were about, as Jesus was, to step out of human history... And hand over the whole movement, this thing that you've been building and working towards, to this man, excuse me, Peter. And that's what Jesus was about to do. You're about to trust this man and the team that Jesus had built called the disciples. You're about to entrust the future of this thing to them, uh, and that it was going to depend upon them. What kind of conversation would you be having with the team if you were Jesus? What would you be talking to them about? Would you be talking to them about strategy and about leadership and about systems and I, and I think that would be like we think yeah, no, here's the plan, here's the strategy, here's here's the systems you need to make this thing work. Um, what would you be you would be talking about building team? because there have been a few tensions between them at times. Hmm. It's no accident that Jesus doesn't talk to them about those things at this time. Jesus has one singular focus, and the conversation, as we said, is about love. Peter, what do you love? Who do you love? Where has your love been directed? The conversation is in a context. It's after certain things have happened. The beginning of these verses, this story where we read that uh, we're told that Jesus appeared after this happened, these things happened and Peter, we find that so Jesus has been crucified he's been risen from the dead and Peter and some of the disciples were at the Sea of Galilee, it seems they were at a loose end doing nothing and Peter says I'm going fishing and the rest of them say hey we'll come with you and they went and fished all night they caught nothing, they returned in the morning Jesus is standing on the beach and he asks the question, Jesus calls out and asks the question that no fisherman wants to be asked when you've caught nothing. Hey friends, did you catch any fish? You never tell stories about going fishing and not catching anything. You only tell the stories when you catch something and no matter what you caught, it's bigger than, yeah, there are some of you that understand. And what you don't want, and these guys were not fishing with rods, obviously they are fishing with nets, but what you don't want is somebody calling out and you gotta, how many of you know how sound travels across the water? Last thing you wanna be calling out is no, we didn't catch anything, been fishing all night, didn't get anything. But then, what a fisherman really hates is when someone thinks they can fish better than them. <laughs> and you have, think about this, these were professional fishermen. And there you have a carpenter telling them how to fish. Man, I remember um, in the early years of ministry, I was in my 20s and there was a lady in our church, uh, just a lovely lady, and her husband was probably then in his 40s uh, or 50. He was very high up in what was then telecom. Very high up. So I got to know him through a few things and one day he asked me out fishing because I'm trying to build connection with him. He asked me to go out. He's got a boat. So we're out in Moreton Bay fishing. Beautiful day. I still remember it. Seared it into my mind and it was kind of embarrassing because he's a good fisherman. And I kid you not, I'm catching fish left, right, and center. I've caught 11 before he gets his first one. And I remember thinking, oh, this is not good to build relationship. It's like he even came at one point and threw in near where I was because maybe the fish were on that side. And so Jesus calls out to these fishermen, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, on the right. And Jesus, can you imagine how Peter, James, and John feel? Because you think we've been out fishing all night and we've only been casting our nets on one side? I mean, these are professional fishermen. This was not necessarily a new idea to them. It wasn't something they hadn't done before. Now, though, the difference is they're going to do it with Jesus. What happens here, it's interesting, is that Jesus encounters his disciples, as we read, for a third time after he's been raised from the dead. And here's the funny thing. They have decided to go back to the same life that they had before they met Jesus. So if you're going to build a life out of love, the first thing you have to ask is, how has love changed you? How has love changed you? It's a good question. How has God's love changed you? Those of you who know and walk and have a relationship with Jesus, how has that love changed you? see before they met jesus they were fishing then after he was crucified they saw him crucified they went fishing but what is challenging to wrap your head around is that after they saw jesus raised from the dead they still went back fishing doing the same as before I mean, after these past almost three years and everything that they'd experienced following Jesus, they just go back, nothing's changed. How's love changed your life? Are you doing the very same things that you did? And we're not talking about vocation. Unless you were a bank robber previously. We're not talking about changing your vocation, but has your life changed? Do you do the same things now that you did before you met Jesus? Is your life no different in any tangible way? You, you say that you've met the creator of the universe. How has that changed you? How is it possible that you could encounter the, the creator who made the whole cosmos? How is it that your life then could be exactly the same? Curious thing about love is that uh, you kind of become like what you love, like what you pursue. I, uh, I remember a few years ago running, going for a run one morning up at Paradise Point on the Gold Coast. And, uh, and there's all sorts of interesting people you know, going for a walk or whatever. And there was a lady walking her dog. And I'll show you how she was walking. Can you guess what the dog was? A poodle. <laughs> See, it was hard to tell the... No, no, I mean, you obviously... (laughs) (laughs) See, one way that you know you love God is because when you love Him, you become more like Him. That's actually His goal. That's actually the goal that God has for my life and for your life is that you become more like Jesus. When you love Jesus, you become like Him. Now here's the curious thing, it wasn't that Peter and the disciples had chosen to go back to some dark, nefarious life, it wasn't that Peter was so angry and disillusioned with Jesus and everything that had happened that that he became an axe murderer, it wasn't that he, you know, he didn't decide to become a criminal or do something bad, he just went back to fishing, nothing changed, nothing changed. So the, the tragedy of Peter's decision wasn't that he decided to do something terrible. He didn't. He just decided to go back to his ordinary existence, same as anybody else, the same as before, doing the same thing he'd done before he met Jesus. How has love changed you? It's interesting. Jesus met them in their fishing. <laughs> he, that's the thing I love about God. He, he intersects with our lives wherever we're at. So they've gone back fishing, and he engages them in what they're doing and where they're at. How many of you know that's our story, that God engaged with you, Jesus engaged with you right where you were at in your life, and even today, right where you're at now, he engages with you. That's the great thing about his love. I don't think it's accidental that they didn't catch anything. I think God maybe orchestrated that so that they realize that if they choose to go back there's nothing there for them and I, I think when Jesus said to them throw out the nets on the other side he was saying maybe there's nothing wrong with this but trying to live this life without me is going to leave you empty so they threw out their nets of course at Jesus command and And says the nets were filled, and you you know, and says they were large fish. You know, these guys were fishermen because they knew the exact number. There was 153. Man, I reckon I'd note it too if I got 153. I can remember some significant fishing moments in my life. And um, yeah, and I know, I remember. (laughs) So, how gracious is Jesus? When they landed, they came to Jesus, they saw a fire with coals on the beach and with fish on it. Jesus already had fish and some bread. He actually already had the very thing they were striving for. Hmm, interesting. Then Jesus has this interesting conversation with Peter. And again, let me just... So when they'd finished eating, Jesus says to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? That's an interesting... I've heard interesting interpretations about that. Do you love me more than these? These what? These fish? Um, uh, That's not very compelling. Do you love me more than fish? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you love me more than pizza? Do you love me more than chocolate? Now, some of you girls probably got to think about that one. Yes, no, no, no. Do you love me more than coffee? No, I think it's a bit deeper. Jesus wasn't talking about fish. I think maybe Jesus is asking, do you love the life I'm calling you to more than the life that I'm calling you from? Yeah. Yeah. Peter has chosen to go back to the life he was comfortable with, the life that he had control over. It's interesting, another little interesting point in this conversation that Jesus has with Peter that he calls him Simon, son of John. Now, John in writing the account, calls him Peter. But in the conversation, Jesus actually calls him Simon three times, three times. Now, it was actually Jesus who had earlier changed his name. And in that earlier passage, and I won't take time to go back to it, Jesus has said to him, you are Simon, Peter, you are Simon, which means a reed blowing in the wind, but you will be Peter, a rock. And that was the journey of transformation that Jesus had, that was the purpose, Jesus calling out the purpose of God in his life. You're Simon now, but you will be Peter, a rock. And in this conversation, Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. And I think Jesus was referring to who he was choosing to be. You've gone back. Are you going to be who you were, or are you going to be who I called you to be? And Peter answers, yes, Lord. He said, you you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And so then the third time, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. So there's a lot of threes here. A lot of threes here. Three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Three times Peter says, I love you. And three times Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's interesting that three times earlier on, three times Peter had denied Jesus before he was crucified. There's a lot of threes, kind of just, it's interesting. And it feels almost like in this incident, Jesus is like doing a soul cleanser for Peter, like you denied me three times but I'm going to pull that confession out of you and I'm going to get you to confess three times, I'm going to replace that Three times with, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. So you never remember the denials, only the declarations. Some other interesting threes in this, uh, John tells us earlier, that this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he was raised from the dead. Not the first time. Not the second time, but the third time. How many times does God have to show up before you stop going back to the life that you used to have instead of the life that he's called you to? I don't know. You'd think it would just take one appearance after he had risen from the dead. I Like, for me, somebody that you've been with for three years and they die, you see them die on the cross... Then, a few days later, they're alive and walking into it. I tell you what, seriously, like what does it take to change your life? Love not only changes you, but it changes the world around you. It's good, I did earlier on, but it's a good question to ask, how has my encounter with the creator of the universe changed me? It's interesting, this conversation with Peter and Jesus had an interesting rhythm to it, as we've talked a little bit about. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Imagine if it was only two parts to the conversation. It would be the most indulgent, self-indulgent, awkward conversation to be listening to if it was just, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Do you really love me, Peter? Yes, Jesus, I really, really love you, Jesus. Peter, do you really, really, really love me? Yes, Jesus, I really, really, really love you. Like, awkward. You know, I think that sometimes for those of us who have been walking with God for a while, that's the conversation we want. We want... What is, I think, a narcissistic, self indulgent conversation with God that's just about me and him? God, do you love me? Yes, I love you. God says, Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you too. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus doing life. I hear, I hear people talk, It's just about me and Jesus. Now, there's an essence of which, that's the foundation. But that's not where the conversation stopped. Because when that was settled, Jesus gave Peter something to do. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. On three, okay, every time. It wasn't just this self-indulgent conversation about me and God. God's not needy like us. God wants your love, but he doesn't need your love. God doesn't have a Facebook account that every day He's checking the number of likes. He's saying love him because you need his love. So basically Jesus is saying, Peter you said you love me, then prove it. There will be an outflow There will be something different about the way you live your life and what you do if you truly love me. (laughs) By the way, it's worth just a, a quick commentary about the feed my sheep. I often hear Christians over the years, many years as a pastor, I often hear Christians say, I just want to get fed. Looking for a church. Now, sure, we need need to be in an environment that nourishes us and so on but can I, can I say if that's the only reason that you're here you're like a spiritual bulimic you come and eat all you can you throw it up and then you come back save yourself for a week and then come back for more problem is that when Jesus said think about this when Jesus said feed my sheep there was no church at this point there were no sheep, If, as we would have thought, sheep feed... So some people kind of think that Jesus was maybe saying something like, you know, to Peter, I want you to go and teach the Bible to Christians. Um, you need to realise at this point there was no Bible. There was the Old Testament, the Old Testament Scriptures. See, and if Jesus was saying teach the Bible to Peter, then maybe... Maybe Peter should have grabbed James and John and, and, uh, and Luke and said, listen, this is what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Sit down. Um, uh, I'm going to teach. Open your Bibles to First Peter. Uh, I'm, it's a work in progress. I'm writing it now. Maybe, John, you should write one too. No, no, no. Now, the gift of a teacher is a valid gift in the New Testament church, and that's another whole subject. But there's no way that you can interpret that passage... As Jesus is saying, spend your whole life teaching the Bible to Christians. Again, not to deny the importance of that. But it can only be translated in this context as to give your life to people who don't believe. There are people who are starving. There are people starving for hope. There are people starving for love, for acceptance, for a place to belong. And I need you to feed them, to care about them. I need you to get out of your boat and out of your comfort and go into the world and feed people who are starving. And, and again, previously Jesus had actually looked out on these broken, lost, hurting people. In Matthew chapter 9, we read it. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's the context. There's the context. So how has love changed you? How has it changed the world around you? What's the outcome of his love in your life and your love for him? The beautiful thing about love is that it's an endless commodity. It's not a limited resource. So, so you know, if you, you have two kids, let's say you have one kid and you decide to have another one. You don't take your first kid and say, sit down and say, listen, we're only going to be able to give you half our love now because you're going to have a baby sister or brother. Can you imagine the poor family of six kids? (laughs) Sit down, sorry, you're only going to get a small percentage now of our love. No, no, love, you just love them all. It's amazing. Love is this endless resource. It's about the best investment of your soul. amazing thing is it, about love is that when you give it away, you actually get more. And in this context, you can't love God and not love people. You can't love God and not love people. And, of course, the church so often has been seen as judgmental and full of condemnation and self-righteous and so many people form a negative view of god because of unfortunate things about the church people by the way and the church is made up of people but it gets a, it gets a different context when when it's talked about as a group hey It's interesting in in our language even um, about different species or different organisations, whatever, when you get one, but when they come together, we see them in a different way. It's reflected even interestingly in our language. So, for example, you have one lion, but if you have a group of lions, they're called a pride. You can have one rhinoceros, but if you get a whole lot of rhinos, you call that a... anybody know? It's called, very appropriate, it's called a crash. <laughs> Seriously, that's the truth. If you have one owl, but you have a whole lot of owls, it's called a... <laughs> Who? I think I heard it. Parliament. Correct. Go to the top of the class. It's called a parliament. Interesting. A lot of hoo, in hoo in that space, huh? Um... Oh, this time of year, jolly crows are annoying sometimes, aren't they, in the morning? 4am. Yeah, one crow, but you have a lot of crows together. It's called a... Did you get... A murder? Yeah! This this is like a quiz game on TV, isn't it? It's called a murder. See, you're learning something today. Here's an interesting One flamingo a whole lot of flamingos is called a flamboyant. Isn't is that interesting? One vulture. Oh, this I love this one. Last one. One vulture. You get a whole lot of vultures together. You know what it's called? It's called a committee. <laughs> I kid you not. That's truth. In the English language, a whole lot of vultures is called. So I never go onto a committee. <laughs> called a task group or something else, but a committee. Yeah. So, you have one Christian, one follower of Jesus, but when we come together, what are we called? See, the perception often changes. We call the church. But it's supposed to be a movement of people who've been transformed by the love of Jesus, who are desperately committed to making sure that every human being knows that they're loved by Jesus. How has love changed your life? Jesus says do you love me and for those of us that know him we go yes Lord I love you and then he says to you what's he saying to you now how we do that can look different for all of us because for all of us there's a unique purpose and calling very often that's expressed through the expression of the local church of which we're a part but it's not just there, it's when we go out into our workplace and everywhere else. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Then, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Reach out to hurting, broken, broken needy, desperate, sometimes unlovely people. I've talked about this before as I conclude. I wonder if the team had just come back up. <clears throat> You know, we um, we live in such a world full of toxic attitudes and sometimes in the role that I have, hang on, excuse me one minute. The reason I did that is because I could do it with one hand, but I'd probably get baptised and... Uh, We live in a world filled with such toxic attitudes, such unkindness, it's like, it's unbelievable. It's not getting any better. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we are called to be different. Do you love me? Yes, I do, Lord. Feed my sheep. Care for people. Hurting. Broken people, what are you doing? How has love changed your life? How has His love changed your life? Would you bow your head for a moment? Just in this moment, between you and God, huh. he, he comes to us just all so individually, so different, reaches us wherever we're at. And what our response to him looks like if we love him, and what his response to us is, is tailored to our life and our purpose. But the question remains nonetheless Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. What does that look like for you? See, you come to him and you love him, he will give you purpose. He will give you purpose. I want to, just before I close, I want to, if Is anybody here and you actually don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know him, you've never said yes to God, his love can change your life so, so powerfully. And if that's you, if you're here and you've never said yes to him, or maybe you have in the past, but you've walked away and today you don't have a relationship with him. If there's anybody here and that's you, just could you just raise your hand, give me a wave. Anybody here this morning, always like to ask that question, anybody this morning that you need to just give your life to Jesus or of recommit your life to him. If there's anybody, just give me a wave and put your hand down. I just want to pray for you before we finish. Amen. Now, time has gone this morning, but I do want to just ask you the question. I'm not going to get you to come forward this morning but if God's just spoken to you and challenged your heart this morning would you just raise your hand right now God's just challenged you, thank you thank you, others this morning thank you, just raise your hand right now thank you thank you others this morning, you need to respond to God you realise that, hey, you love him but, but maybe you're not doing what he wants you to do fully yet Maybe you don't even understand what that looks like for you yet. That's okay. Anybody else? Just thank you. He gives you purpose. I want us all to stand. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Well, this morning we, um, we're blown away by your love and your grace and your mercy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We definitely do not deserve... Your love, we don't deserve your mercy, we, but we receive it with gratitude this morning. And at fresh God, we just say, we, we love you. What do you want me to do for you? What's the outflow of that love? And Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who is unsure of what that may mean for them, that you bring clarity. Maybe even say, Go and speak to pastoral leaders. You just bring clarity in their life that as we follow you, we might all live a life filled with purpose, godly, eternal purpose. So God, I pray now your blessing. I pray for those that need to, that this word will just remain so strongly resonant in their thinking and their hearts during this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.